Hey everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. These are the last days of Prohibition, and this show seeks to feature the stories of the founders, the investors, the marketers that are bridging the gap. The day of getting a little dime bag from your guy on the corner is done. It's not happening. Today we're gonna to talk about cannabis and coffee. Amazing combination, like wine and weed, or peanut butter and jelly. Cannabis and coffee, big part of my morning, and has been for some time. Uh, so we found a company, Pot of Coffee, who's on the show today, that has combined these two. They're, it's cannabis-infused coffee, but not necessarily just to get high. There's a CBD version, there's a tea version, there's cocoa, and this great range of product. It's a great discussion about unit economics and how to start a company and yet another mode of consumption for cannabis. How's it going, man? Good, good, good. Thanks good, for being glad here. Glad to be here. Yeah, for sure. So just tell us, what is Pot of Coffee? Pot of Coffee is a series of infused um, hot beverage products. We have a coffee, tea, cocoa. Um, we do a 10, 50, and 100 milligram. Uh, it's available in a Keurig K-Cup. Super convenient. Super cool. convenient. Yeah. Or for people who don't have the Keurig machine, we do a single serve pod, which you can put in an auto brewer. Or if you wanted to be creative, you could French press it, really do whatever you want. Got it. Cool. Okay. So you said 10, 50, and 100 milligrams. Yes. So those aren't light amounts, right? I guess 10 is sort of the base, but you get yeah. to 50 or 100. Well, is it a strong experience? You know, that... it, you know it, 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 people vary with the head effect. Um, you know, for some people, 50 is too much. Um, for some people, you know, 100 is too light. Mm -hmm. So really, it's just kind of finding, you know, what's good for you as an individual, you know, so that you're getting the medicating effect that you want or the head effect or whatever you're looking for in the product. Um, one of the reasons that we did the 10 milligram is because there are a lot of people who um, maybe don't have that strong tolerance or they're not regular cannabis users, you know, and we wanted to give them an alternative. We liked what they were doing in Colorado from the adult use market, Washington as well. Um, we thought that it would be a good alternative um, here in California. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's the best kind of uh, school of thought here is if you, you don't have a lot of experience with cannabis, start with a small amount and, and base it on what your experience level yeah, is. Absolutely. Right? You know, and it's hard with edibles. You know, the packaging sometimes is confusing, you know, even like with chocolates or some of the other ones, you know, it's broken up into smaller squares. But a lot of times you don't know if you're supposed to eat one, eat two, right. eat four. And everybody's made that mistake, right? <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I think my first experience was with the Kiva bar, and yeah, I got into it a little bit too hard. And, yeah. you know, I, I had my watch. I was timing it. I wanted to see how long it took before, oh, you know, the effect really kicked in. You know, just kind of doing some research yeah. for our product. Yeah. And it was about the 40-minute mark. And oh, it, wow. <laughs> and then just all hell yeah. broke loose in your brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and is, is it a similar kind of experience? I mean, how does it sort of um, hit you with the coffee? For me, it's different. I think for me, it, with the coffee or the tea, it hits quicker. I don't know if it's because it's the hot beverage and it increases the bioavailability of the, you know, the THC concentrate that we infuse in. 
Um, but yeah, Un unpack that a little bit. You know, I may be able to break something down or a certain compound down better than you, and I think that's probably you know unique to or and, consistent with everybody. And it can depend on a range of factors, right? Oh I mean, yeah, maybe I just had a big slice of pizza and I have all this grease in my stomach, yep. so when I put something else on top of it, my stomach's not going to cooperate or my intestines aren't going to cooperate. So yeah. yeah. And anecdotally, like I know, if I didn't sleep very well the night before. Uh, different modes of consumption can affect me very differently. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting just how uh, that entourage effect with cannabis makes such a big difference, right? Yeah, uh, no, and I think part, you know, part of it too is the caffeine. Um, you know, pharmaceuticals in Great Britain, like if you buy over-the-counter aspirin, um, caffeine is a component of that, as well as codeine in some cases. Mm -hmm. But the caffeine, I believe, acts as a carrier so it thins out your blood a little bit, so it increases the bioavailability of the acetaminophen or whatever ah, pain reliever you're taking. Ah, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, when we're talking about putting THC or even CBD, which we'll get into <laughs> in a minute here, into a coffee, it kind of brings up the question of, well, is it so different from caffeine, right? There's still this big taboo on, in the cannabis world, but if we're not smoking in, and it's not even a brownie anymore, can't we begin to compare caffeine and, and THC in that way? Aren't they very similar? Yeah, I mean, you know, like for me, I don't really get affected by the caffeine. I mean, I can drink a regular cup of coffee ah. and go right to sleep, you know, so I think that just goes back to, you know. Do you know. do that? Are you like at home drinking coffee? No, <laughs> Sometimes I do. My mother-in-law comes to visit. Uh -huh. you know, she's from Mexico, and, you know, she likes to have a cup of coffee after dinner. Ah. So sometimes I'll, you know, join her. You know, maybe it might be 9 o'clock at night. I'll have a cup of coffee. And not decaf. Not decaf. Not decaf. Yeah. You know, full-on, straight, you know, yeah. like super-powered, supercharged, caffeinated coffee. Interesting. And, yeah, an hour or two later, I'm sound asleep, so. Got it. So cool. yeah, I mean, it just doesn't affect me, but other people, you know, they drink caffeine and, you know, they're wired for hours. Yeah, I mean, I drink coffee on a fairly regular basis, but I, I am more sensitive, much more sensitive to it than cannabis, for, for example. Um, but maybe it's my tolerance is higher because, you know, we do drink a lot of coffee, you know, and testing the product and testing out different coffees, um, you know, it's something that we do a lot. And tea as well, and tea does have caffeine, a small yep. amount, so you know, maybe yep. my tolerance is higher, so just like with THC, you, yep. know, and, you know, people who ingest a lot of edibles, I'm sure that they get to a point where 100 milligrams is kind of a base dose. You know where they need that just to be able to get to the medicated point that they want to be. Yeah, not me. Hundred milligrams. <laughs> wow. All right, let's drink some coffee here. All right. Uh, cool. So we got a standard Keurig here, yes. right? So very convenient. We got the K cups going on. What should we have here? Let's have some of this uh, THC. Uh, so THC and CBD, right? So uh, there's some that get you high and some that are just yes, kind of so a pain. Yeah, correct. So for bit. the CBD, we use an agricultural hemp based. Um, CBD product uh, that we acquire from Canavest and SCV Sciences. So we've partnered with them. Uh, we feel that that's where you're going to have a little bit of trouble. Yep. So what we've done is we've <coughs> basically... Talk about put, the packaging. So the packaging. So we've put the K-cup inside of a foil pouch. Mm -hmm. This is a four mil foil pouch that's consistent with the regulations in Colorado or okay. other states. So okay. we wanted to kind of have that childproof feature. 
um, associated with the product because we felt that you know it was uh, a step in the right direction. Because children shouldn't be drinking it. Children yeah. shouldn't <laughs> be drinking it. We didn't, you know, and there are a lot of teenagers who do drink coffee, mm -hmm. and we wouldn't want you know someone who is medicating at home to have their teenagers, right. you know, well, teenagers are probably smart enough. So it's intentionally a little <laughs> difficult to open. Is that, is yes. that what I'm hearing? Yeah. It's intentionally difficult to open. So we heat seal it. Uh -huh. There's no tabs, uh -huh. so you have to cut it open. You have to cut it. Which we should get some scissors <laughs> or uh, be some strong it would teams. Be, or, yeah. Yeah. So uh, welcome back. We got this open here. It's <laughs> childproof, specifically for children like me. And uh, you were talking about how you intentionally made it a little difficult. Yeah, we made it a little it. difficult, but it also serves a dual purpose: is that we can protect the freshness of the the product. You know, coffee being like an organic product, um, you know, it starts to decompose from the moment that you actually grind it. Mm -hmm. um, so placing it in here and kind of heat sealing it um, allows for a longer shelf life. Got it. Okay, so take me through what is actually in here. It says 100% uh, Arabica, Arabica, coffee. Arabica coffee, right? I know there's two different kinds of coffee. So we chose to use a French roast. It's a little bit darker roast. Uh -huh but we feel that it does better um, with the infused cannabis mm -hmm. than maybe a lighter blend. Got it. So where it gets really difficult is like in the teas is because tea is so delicate, mm -hmm. you know, and you really have to be careful ah. um, what kind of tea you use. And coffee is much more robust. Coffee's, coffee's more robust, but we also wanted to have something that tasted like coffee. Mm. You know, the biggest question that we got asked initially in going to different trade shows or introducing our product was, what does it taste like? You mm -hmm. know, when people drink coffee, they want it to taste like coffee. When they drink tea, they want it to taste like tea. Mm -hmm. um, and our cocoa is phenomenal as well. So it tastes like weed or it doesn't taste? The focus groups that we've done and the feedback that we get from actual patients. Yeah. Um, currently, we're in about 50 dispensaries. I should be a barista. <laughs> that was actually pretty cool. <laughs> uh, we're at about 50 dispensaries. Yeah. And yeah, the feedback that we get um, from patients when we do demo days or when we do different things is, wow, this really tastes like coffee. Ah, well, that's what you want to hear, right? Yes. That's what you want to hear. And then 20 minutes later, they're like, oh, I'm also high? Is that, yes. That's the combination, right? Okay. So here we'll have a little taste test here. So this is the, the THC correct. Uh, coffee, correct? Yes. Well, cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Definitely tastes like coffee. It's also good coffee. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean I like we, it. you know, we sourced um, a lot of different coffees until we found a mm -hmm. coffee that we were happy with. Um, yeah, really, no cannabis flavor <clears throat> of any kind that I detect. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. And, and a big part of that is our partner for the extracts that we procure for the coffee. Yep. Um, Loud Pack Extracts. Um, they do a solvent-free process, mm -hmm. uh, triple distilled. Um, potency is a big piece for us. If we can get something that has a high potency that's uh -huh. very clean, um, it does really good with the different infused beverage products that we produce. Got it. Um, the testing that we get from SC Labs for the LabPak extract um, continually tests in the 84 to 87% range in terms of potency. Okay. Which means that there's not a lot of other stuff there to really yeah. detract from pretty, the emulsification process. Pretty high grade process. oil there, yeah. Right, so you're able to get most of it into the coffee. Um, we do do an emulsification process, 
to kind of carry it into the coffee and then further break it up. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a dual pronged approach. Ah, we add a carrier to get it into the coffee and then we emulsify it to break it up into smaller micro pieces. Got it. And, and what do you ultimately and, land on? I mean, is it a CO2 or a butane oil? What, what kind it's of more oil? CO2. More CO2, yeah. Which seems to be the trend here. I, mean, that's I think with edibles, um, really anything. I mean, if it's, a, if it's a clean, like ethanol or maybe like a hexane, yeah. butane, it's just harder to work with. Yeah. And I'm not sure having all that plant material in the, you know, in the product. I mean, for some edibles, maybe, mm -hmm. um, but maybe, you know, for the, like the ready-made drinks for what we're doing, I'm not sure if it's really... You also um, can sacrifice the terpenes. Yes. Right, which is the big criticism of using CO2 oil is that you can't smell it or taste it, but we're smelling <clears throat> and tasting coffee, so it really doesn't matter, right? Exactly, yeah. and that was one of the challenges that we had initially was finding you know, someone that was doing that fractionating, mm -hmm. that was removing most of the terpenes and kind of having that raw yep. um, oil, for lack of a better term, and Loud Pack does that for us. You know, they have a little bit different refinement process that we use for our coffee than they're selling um, or that they're offering in dispensaries. Um, but it, like I said, it, it's a great uh, product for us and it's, it's a pretty seamless process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. So you've made coffee with weed in it. Tastes great. I would drink that coffee any day of the week. Thank Presumably you. I'll be high in 30 <laughs> minutes or so. Well, higher. Uh, <laughs> take me through the business a little bit. I mean, okay. what, what is one of these t uh, costs to make? What do you sell it for? You know, take me through that. Um, so our cost to manufacture has come down significantly. Um, initially, you know, we were sourcing a lot of product here in the United States for in terms of the box, the plastic K-cup, the filter. Uh -huh the different components in small quantities. And typically when you buy in smaller quantities, you have to pay a premium. Of course, yeah. Um, but now we've been able to scale to the point where you know, we can drop that. And I mean, our production costs, including THC oil, um, are around just over a dollar mm. um, you know, to make. And what do you sell for? So we, retail, we wholesale to the dispensaries for around two, 250 for the um, 10 milligrams. OK, OK. And higher up, what, and, and how much is the difference in cost with the more potent oil, I guess? Or there's so, just more oil? Well, oil like for the 10 it, milligram, yeah. we'll do 250, for the 50, 375, and for the 100, five bucks. Okay, okay, got it. So Still, it's not necessarily incremental, mm -hmm. um, you know, because, yeah, just the cost, we're, we're looking at like a per milligram cost of about 25 cents for right. the oil that we buy. Right, but you're looking at a 200% margin or something like that. It's pretty, pretty great. Well, it, yeah, but that's just your cost of goods sold course, for yeah. your, your product, but then you, you have equipment, you have labor, you have all these other things. Yep. So by the time you add all of that in, the margins are actually much smaller. Much smaller. Got it. Okay, so take me through that equipment a little bit. You were saying you had a facility. So we have uh, a facility, LA, right? commercial yeah. kitchen. Yeah. Um, the equipment that we use to actually manufacture the, the coffee currently is, is pretty minimal. It doesn't take up a, a large footprint. We have a filler that we use to fill the K-cups, mm -hmm. which is done manually. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, we put a setting of 10 grams of coffee. Yep. Uh, we fill it. Um, and then we have a heat sealer that sees, seals the lid on top. Got it. Um, those are the two pieces of equipment that we use currently. And based and on- And are those really expensive pieces of no, equipment? No, no, they're not that yeah. expensive at all, which I think has been something that's been appealing to partners that we've um, approached in other states is Got that you know, the capital expenditure to 
get involved is, is really minimal. Mm-hmm. Where it kind of takes off is once you get to a point where you scale to where you can't, you, you can't meet the demand, because it is rather intensive in terms of labor, like mm-hmm. the doses we have to manually hand dose each mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. There's no way to um, automate what we're doing. So how many K-cups can you make in a day? So we can do roughly 70 an hour okay. if we're pushing hard. Okay. So and that's just, how many people? That's just one person. Just one person. Got yeah. it. Cool. And is labor two, still I mean, the most expensive? Two, you part? can get up to about 80, but it's just that some of the processes really only one person could do it at a time. Like Got if it. you're dosing the actual K-cups mm-hmm. or the pods, you, you can only do one at a time and you right. have to weigh it out. Right. So that we're getting a 10 milligram, a 50 milligram, or a 100 milligram. I think that's one of the biggest um, issues with edibles is proper dosing. What's up, IC fans? We are at the new home of investing in cannabis gateway in Oakland, California. It's really in two parts. So there's an incubator where they're gonna help 10 companies get investment and press and you know advice. And they've asked me to be a mentor here, which is awesome. Thanks again, guys. Also gonna be the new home of investing in cannabis. So we're gonna do most of our shows here. It's a great space. In addition to the incubator, which you have to be accepted for, there's also Gateway Works, which is just a really cool place where you can come and buy a desk, a monthly desk, right? I think it's 350 for the month. Get away from your roommates. You don't have to worry about having a stuck up landlord. It's hard to find desk space, hard to find a place to work in the cannabis world. And then you can be a part of this cannabis entrepreneur uh, community as well. And you can benefit from the other founders. Great synergy here. If you've never been in a co-working space, it's like the way to start a company. I'm a micro doser in right. general. Uh, and I'll have a, a product and the next time I have it, the effect seems drastically different. Uh, and we talked about entourage effects and those kind of things, but it does seem like I the dosage is a little... Part yeah. of it, you know, part of it is, you know, the, the process. You know, if you're doing a chocolate or you're getting a homogenous blend of, let's say that you have a five gallon vat of chocolate mm-hmm. and you're putting in, I don't know, let's say five grams of, of concentrate. So you have this really small amount of concentrate and this large amount of chocolate. Mm, mm. Well, how do you mix that up Distribute it so that it's have. homogenous, so that when you pour it out into your molds, that it's consistent? You know, that's one of the challenges that we have. We wanted to say, hey, how can we make, you know, 20, how can we dose 20 pounds of coffee so we don't have to do this each time? Right, right. And but, how do you do that? Well, we, we haven't figured that out. Yeah. I mean, there are, there's some pharmaceutical grade equipment that we can buy but it doesn't allow us to do it um, like a weight-based distribution for mm. powder because we powderize our concentrate okay. um, to make it more water-soluble. Got it. Um, but take me through that process. So you buy oil right. and then you convert it into powder. So we buy oil and then we add, we, we basically heat it up. So we, when we buy it, it's decarbed, decarboxylated, okay. so it's activated. Okay. So we don't have to worry about that. Initially, we thought maybe the hot water from the Keurig would be hot enough for a, a long, uh, long enough period of time to do the decarboxylation process. But it's not. But it's not. Okay. So anyway, it's, it's fully decarbed. Um, we water bath it. We add in a carrier. Um, some people use coconut oil. Uh, we prefer to use something else. Uh, we'll keep that proprietary. Okay. But, but they all kind of serve the same purpose. They get the oil into whatever you're doing. Sure. And then you can add other emulsifiers to kind of further break those pieces up. Mm. Um, but usually the result of kind of that process, it's, um, it can be, it's a solid, 
or it can be a little bit waxy. Got it. So what we do is we take that and we, um, we powderize it. Um, you know, there's a lot of food grade products on the market that you can use to powderize really anything. Yep. Um, you can powderize olive oil, yep. you know, if you wanted to use it for a garnish. And, and that process is a little bit of your secret sauce. Yeah. Right? And is that a patentable process? Have you gone um, down that I wish it was, yeah. um, but you know, there are a lot of companies that are doing similar things. And I think we are working to develop something that is patentable. Mm -hmm. Um, and a, like a more, yeah, we can, you know, we have some patents that we file or uh, provisional patents that we filed patent pending. Mm -hmm. um, but we want to refine that process further so that we're insured of actually getting that, that final patent. Got it. But there I has to be some uniqueness to what you're doing um, utility, to the point. Right? Yeah, it's, it's a utility, utility patent. patent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. But I think the, the ultimate value here is going to be your brand. Oh, absolutely. Right? And uh, I and love the name. And that's really what we have. You know, we spent most of our initial push developing the brand. Okay. You know, coming up with, you know, the, the box, the foil pouch. You know, right. how are we going to present this? We also have a larger box mm -hmm. um, that accommodates three or five servings. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, and we like the boxes because it gives us a little more presence inside of a dispensary on the shelf. Oh, it's a beautiful box. I didn't have back pain, but if I did, this would be a nice way to, to medicate, right. you know, in a 10 milligram dose yeah. um, and be able to, you know, kind of get that relief I'm looking for, but not over the top. Right. Particularly if we're talking about the CBD variety. Right? Absolutely. Yes. So this is sort of a interesting reconciliation in my brain because CBD has uh, you know, the perception of being pain relief and sort of a calming effect and all those things. And then caffeine has the exact opposite effect, right? <laughs> so, I mean, something that I combine in my body frequently are THC or CBD and coffee, but bringing them together, do you ever hear that? Do you get feedback? Yeah, like, so, what, so what we, yeah, and to answer that question, um, we've, we're getting ready to launch a decaffeinated coffee a decaffeinated tea, okay. and actually a flavored coffee. We're gonna do a coffee flavored coffee. Okay. And we anticipate having that out in the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been going through the vetting process of the different coffees to make sure that, you know, the decaf that we like is equal to, you know, the French roast that we use um, for our normal coffee. Um, and we found something that we are honed in on that we like, so we're asking some other people to test it for us to make sure that, you know, that they like it. And tea really doesn't have that much caffeine. Um, you know, the green tea that we use even in our THC version, um, it's the same that we use for the CBD version, but it's not that strongly caffeinated. Mm -hmm. And I think people who, we, we sell a lot more of the CBD tea than we do the CBD coffee. Okay. And I'm not quite sure why. I think I know why. <laughs> I think if people associate tea with being calm or, you know, yes. cuddling up on the couch or something. So, yeah, we're hoping that launching the decaf line will, um, you know, maybe bring some more people over to the coffee side. Got it. Um, we work with a company in Las Vegas called The Travel Joint. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they recently did a really cool West Coast dispensary tour where they went up to Seattle, Portland, visited some uh, dispensaries um, a little bit more north and then went back down to Nevada. Um, but they love the CBD product. Uh, we sent them some samples. Um, they're going to be doing a review shortly. But they have a suite in Vegas. It's called the 420 Suite. Okay. Um, it's at a, well, one of the higher end strip properties. And coincidentally, I used to work there, so I know the property very well. Okay. Um, you know, kind of one of the con uh, 
quintessential Vegas places. But anyway, they have this 420 suite, and we're going to be putting a Keurig in there along with our CBD product. Got it. So when they, you know, visitors come to Vegas and they stay in the suite, they'll be able to yep. medicate with, um, with the CBD product. Very cool. Take me through sort of the, the breakdown in sales here. Like what, what's the most popular? So in California, the most, I think the, it really depends. In the southern part of the state, the 50 milligrams. Okay. San Diego. And coffee. The and THC co coffee. Coffee, yes. 50 milligrams. So definitely coffee is about 60%. Okay. I would say tea is roughly 30% and the cocoa 10%. However, in December, we sold more cocoa than anything else. Ah. Christmas, um, I guess, right? Yeah. And we have a pot of coffee cannabis cafe in a dispensary in Lawndale. Okay. Where they actually have a counter space. They have a Keurig um, as a wheel item. You know, you spend $50, you can, we, uh, they get a, a 10 uh, milligram medicated. Got it. Um, beverage of their choice. And yeah, most of the time it's coffee, but in December, everybody chose, you know, or I wouldn't say everybody, but yeah, we sold or a lot of coffee, or Got it. excuse me, cocoa. Sounds like a fantastic experience. Yeah. I gotta go there. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, it's actually a really cool setup. Yeah. Um, they, you know, I think it was a vape shop at some point, so they had kind of that counter space, mm. probably where they had the different, you know, uh, or like a hash bar vape or setup. Like a hash yeah. bar or something, yeah. So they approached us and they said, hey, you know, we would like you to come in and kind of brand this for us. And we, you know, we did, we came in, we put some signs. It's, it turned out really nice. That's cool, yeah. But we're, yeah, I mean, we were doing, you know, we probably do about 500 units, uh, so about 250 units a week. Mm -hmm. And is that your biggest location? Is that a typical location? Um, I would say, you know, typically we're probably, you know, at a, at a slow moving location. They probably do two or three units a day. Okay. At some of the, the better ones, you know, we can, you know, maybe up to, to 10 units a day. Got it. Which I think in the California market isn't too bad. Yeah. Um, you know, moving into Colorado, um, our partner there, you know, says that the uh, recreational sales outpace medical sales 10 to 1, mm. you know, and we strongly feel that being in places like Vail, um, Aspen, yeah, it's will, right on brand, you know, it's right will on definitely, brand. you know, and talking to different people in that market, the, the consumers up there really like things simple, you know, the adult use people, they don't want mm. to, they don't to, want to think about no. it. And I'm sure that most of them have a Keurig machine, so you know it's going to be easy for them to to go. Yeah. Hey, wow, Keurig coffee—that's what I need in the morning before I go skiing. Yep, definitely. Uh, let's talk about Keurig a little. Okay. Bit. So this is the 1.0, right? You were just telling me a little <laughs> bit before. Yeah. So the so the lids. Um, so Keurig got smart. So they knew that there were a lot of companies out there doing third-party coffees, third-party teas, or just third-party beverages in general. Yep. Um, so what they did was they developed a lid that is digitally rights, has digital right protection on it. So the newer Keurig machines, the 2.0 Keurig machines, have a scanner in them and they scan for this ink. And if this ink is not on the lid, it will reject it. It won't brew it. Wow. So um, they are the iTunes yes. uh, of coffee now. <laughs> They're DRM the iTunes of in yes. my K-Cup, okay. Yeah, and I thought digitally right now, DRM was just applicable to music. Right. But yeah, if you, you know, it's so. a term that they use for this ink. Wow, wow, you learn something every day. Okay, so then presumably so, they're charging you significantly more to license the new K-Cup, right? Is that the way it works? Or? Well, it's the lid, the actual the foil lid. lid. Yeah. 
And the foil lids have been around for the 2.0 for a long time, but you have to order hundreds of thousands to be able to, mm -hmm. to purchase them. Nobody's gonna sell you 10,000. Right. You know, if you wanna get in the game, you gotta order 100,000, 200,000. And when we first started, we really weren't at that point where we could, you know, order a hundred thousand lids. Yep. Um, but now with our what does sales that cost? here, what does a hundred thousand lids cost? Um, it's about five cents a piece. So you know, but then when you have different SKUs, because each one of our lids is different. Right. So we have a different lid for coffee, tea, cocoa. You have plate charges. You know, all of these different associated fees. It can get kind of expensive. So they want a hundred thousand of each SKU. They they won't do like a group order Correct. for you. Wow, that's bullshit. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Okay, but what's the sort of penetration of the 2.0 machines? I mean, how many people have those versus well, a, anecdotally anyway? Yeah. Not a lot, but getting into the adult use markets, we didn't want to risk having some, you know. That having, they couldn't use. That they couldn't use. Yeah. Um, we haven't really had anybody bring any back to say. I mean, there's been a few people, but most of the people who... Um, have the 2.0 machines, know how to hack the, the DRM on it. Okay. You know, just okay. like, you know. And, and how do you do just that? Like do, you, Apple. do you know how that's? You, you can take a lid from a used 2.0 ah. and tape it onto the lid ah. that you have. Okay. Um, you can cut it in half, a 2.0 lid, and you can tape it to the top part okay. of the Keurig where that scanner's at. Okay. So okay. it's always on. Got I mean, it. there's. If yeah. You, yeah, if you go on YouTube and, I mean, even our competitors, you know, we do it, our competitors do it. Yeah. Um, you know, if you go to their website, there's a link to YouTube videos on how to, you know, kind of deal with Got it. the DRM and the Keurig. That but, sounds like an uphill battle for Keurig, right? Well, yeah, and they constantly change the ink. So we found out from the, the vendor that we're buying this from, they said, oh, you guys bought this at a good time. Um, we've been getting a lot of returns on our last order because the new, you know, 2.1 or whatever version of Keurig machine it is. Right. Um, you know, has they, they've changed the ink Again, or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, so now yeah. this guy's stuck with these lids that, that won't work. So. I mean, don't they realize that they're a platform, right? And that they can have so much more penetration. Absolutely, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, if they were to, you know, they don't want to really license out that technology to smaller groups. Right. You know, if it's a Starbucks or if it's a Pete's or if it's sure. somebody like that, you know, then they can, you know, they can go through Green Mountain and get that technology to be able to to print with that ink. Right. But then again, you know, they're also probably, you know, doing, you know, millions of K cups a day, so they don't, yeah. Or hundreds of thousands a yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean it's a much different issue for them than it would be for a small retailer like us. But there are competitors, right? I mean yeah. there are curing competitors. Do they have a, a patent on this size cup or how does, um, how does that work? No, they don't well that's what the patent ran out. So that's why you see all of these third party manufacturers. Got it. Got Before it. that, you know, it didn't exist. Right. Everything came through Keurig. Yeah. But when the patent ran out, they said, shit, how can we protect our interest in, you know, the investment? Yeah, you know, the, the machine, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, it's just like with razor blades, you know. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, just, you know, it's the same concept, yeah. you know. That's yeah. why I think nobody uses a safety razor anymore mm -hmm. because they last forever. You know, mm -hmm. so Gillette and Schick and everybody else are like, well, how can we get people to buy more razors? Of course. <laughs> We're actually looking at doing a compostable cup. So it would oh. be a cup that's fully compostable. Oh, yeah, I think you brought not just the, got a little example of yeah. that right here. Right, so, I mean, so. currently, you could kind of make your Keurig K-Cups compostable if you went through the process. Okay. 
Most of the lids are made out of aluminum foil, uh -huh. so you could peel that off and put that with your aluminum. You know, if you cleaned this out and got the organic material out of it, the coffee, you could put this with your paper. Cool. And then the plastic part of this and then that plastic cup yep. are also recyclable as well. Sure. But most people just throw them in the garbage. Yep. Um, so in that form, they're not recyclable. Okay. So what we're looking at is doing, are getting the kind of exclusive to what we're doing for a compostable unit where everything just goes into compost. Got it. And is that more expensive to produce? It is more expensive, but it's also more environmentally friendly. Sure. I mean, yeah, you can do the recycling, but, you know. And given your target demographic, or at least the way it stands today, that's right on brand. Oh, it's right on brand, especially here in the Bay Area. Yeah. You know, the, we did some focus groups up here, and a lot of the feedback that we got is, you know, especially from some of the larger dispensaries like Harborside. They said, oh, it's a good product, but we're not really into K-cups. Got it. And that's why we do the single-serve pods. Got it. You know, it basically looks like an oversized tea bag for the coffee, for the tea, use a tea bag, and um, you can use that in an auto drip brewer mm -hmm. or, like I said, a French press, anything you want, um, which is appealing to dispensaries up here. Mm -hmm. Southern California, you know, not so much. I care less. Uh, <laughs> I hate to say it, but yes. Um, hey, it's just the way it is. I'm from Southern California. People are just... Uh, I don't want to offend anybody from Southern California. Yeah. That's where I live. But, um, you know, the, the feedback that we're getting, you know, yeah. nobody's come back. Yeah, the, it hasn't been a barrier to a to dispensary purchase. to purchase, yes. Yeah, got it. But up here it is. So you talked about, you know, scaling a little bit, whether that means more equipment or, you know... Oh, yes, yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. So the equipment... Once we scale to a certain point, we have to start automation. And that's where things get really difficult. Yeah. I mean, automation in terms of, you know, having this go in and fill in the coffee and going down the line is very easy. But we have to put in our mixture. Mm -hmm. You know, so how do we do that? Do we go back to a liquid form? So most of the automation or the automated machines allow for flavoring. Got it. If you want to do a hazelnut or I French see. vanilla, it's a liquid process and it drops and I believe it's probably alcohol-based, which would create further issues for us. But it doesn't really affect the raw ingredient because it evaporates off. So the, somehow the flavor gets added and then the moisture part just evaporates off. Got it, got it, makes sense. Okay, but however you're gonna scale, right, right equipment or- But equipment, yeah, flying, yeah it's, it's not cheap. It, yeah, it's gonna require a lot of money, right? Are, are you guys raising money now? Have you raised money? What, so we haven't really done any raises per se. So our capitalization came basically through family and friends. Um, you know, we did basically convertible secured debt yep. um, to do our initial raise. Um, we really aren't looking for, I mean, yeah, if. if we want to solidify our position in the brand, not only here in California, but in some of the other markets before we really start going out and looking for investment. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to be able to show and, and have a proven track record, you know, that we have a viable brand, we have a viable product. What leverage, basically. Leverage, right? yeah. I mean, um, and we've been fortunate enough to be in a position to where, you know, the, the funding that we got initially was enough to kind of, you know, that burn rate, it was significant, but it got us to the point where we started getting sales and revenue um, so that it kind of offset and now we're seeing, you know, a slight turn the other way. But um, yeah, I mean, with um, launching in Colorado here next month in April, mm -hmm. um, we have a partner in Washington that hopefully will get on board by May. 
Um, they're also going to be producing in Oregon, so they would be um, they would work with us in Oregon as well. And we were just in Nevada last week talking to a few potential partners there. Um, but yeah, I think kind of just getting into that Colorado market is really going to be a big push for us. Yep. And they're really we we don't have any competitors in that market, so we feel that you know the growth is going to be you know significant. Um, our partner there is currently in 300 um, you know, medical and retail mm. stores. Mm. Um, so we estimated or they estimated that out, you know, out of the gate, we'd be in about 150, and then they would just progress up from there. That's fantastic, yeah. Um, yeah, I hear that a lot. We need to break into Colorado, for example, right? But I think... Uh, well, I think breaking into Colorado, it's just to, for sales. Yeah. You know, if... if California wouldn't be a good test case for that because there's no recreational sales here. Yep. So if you want to prove that you have a viable brand and kind of an open, freer market, you know, it's got to be Washington or Colorado, right. and Colorado seems to be the more established yeah. place yeah. right now. Yeah, and no, I think they're, they're far ahead, most people, in, in the commercial end. Uh, it's probably going to be on the ballot to, for recreational in California in November. Yes. I think that, that ballot gets finalized in July or something like that. Um, but then if that happens, which seems like it's going to, it was really close last time, uh, that's going to open up what is a much bigger market oh, than oh, Colorado yeah. It'll be huge, absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. How do you see sort of that coming together? I mean, if, if that does pass, then, you know, what, what's the next step for you guys here in, in California? Well, I mean, currently, you know, we, we produce ourselves. Um, but, you know, do we, do we kind of take on a partner and license the IP like we've done in other states here in California? Yeah. But I think being an established business, you know, we, we established a cooperative, you know, under the AG guidelines and, you know, have been, um, our goal has been, or is, has been to be as compliant as possible with the guidelines that are out there. Mm -hmm. And we feel that we've done a good job at that. Um, you know, we, we spent some of the initial time not only developing the brand, but also meeting with various attorneys and getting different, um, uh, opinions on what those guidelines actually mean yeah. because they can be a little confusing yeah. and different attorneys have different opinions as to what's the best way to do this. So we kind of met with... What a novel idea in the cannabis industry of doing <laughs> things the right way. I commend you, my friend, I commend you. Well, I think it was more just, you know, a big part of it was my background being casino gaming, yeah. highly regulated industry, yeah. you know, kind of wanting to, to have some of that um, feeling to the business that we were creating, mm -hmm. but also as a protection to family and friends. Sure. You know, we wouldn't want to put them in a compromising position through their investments. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we were on solid ground. Yep. And yeah, it's been difficult. I mean, um, you know, the different, uh, I would say we met uh, probably five different attorneys. Mm. And I mean, we, we did up ended retaining one, but they all have different opinions yep. as to what this means. Mm. You know, one sentence within the AG guidelines Right. You know, what type of, how yes. should you, for, you know, should you do a mutually beneficial corporation or should you do a um, cooperative, uh, consumer cooperative corporation, you know, which is the best way to structure, you know, both have, you know. And what did you land on? We did the consumer cooperative okay. corporation. Okay. Um, we just felt that there were a few more benefits there mm -hmm. um, from a taxation standpoint than the, the mutual benefit would allow. Got it. But, you know, it's not really clear. You know, either one will suffice. Sure. 
Um, sure, like but, you said, not really a right answer. Yeah, just an opinion. but we wanted to, I mean, yeah, that was our initial goal, and that was kind of before the legislature came out and said, hey, we're going to actually you know, add laws to what's going on here. So now we're in a position that we were legally formed before a certain date. So now when that licensing process actually begins, maybe we can position ourselves to be on that priority list. Right. And then that's a whole new, uh, yeah. you know, what's the value of a license, you know, a manufacturing license in the state of California for yeah. an adult use market. Yeah. I mean, I see people selling pre-ICOs in LA for, you know, six figures. Ah, uh, uh, okay. We, so a whole secondary market there. Yeah, we had uh, some Chinese uh, investors that were interested in a pot of coffee. Yep. Uh, we talked to them for a little while. They're also interested in the dispensary. I knew somebody that had a pre-ICO um, business, Prop D compliant, um, that wasn't currently operating, that was looking to sell. Mm -hmm. And they kind of did some negotiation. And the Chinese investor said, yeah, we talked to somebody else. And they wanted, I think, 2.8 million for their Prop D pre-ICO. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Fascinating stuff. Anyway. So uh, we've come to my favorite part of the show here. I'm fascinated always by the guest sort of personal consumption of, of cannabis. Okay. Right? So when you're not drinking coffee, uh, what, how do you like to smoke? Is there strange you like indica, sativa? Um, you know what? What kind of smoke? You know, I, I guess, you know, I do both. I mean, I like flour. Uh -huh. So if I have time, because it's a, it's a ritual, it's like a process. Yeah. You know, I have my bong, I get my bong out, you know, clean it up a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For some reason, I'm not a big fan of like, you know, old bong water, or maybe in college, you know, just like a bong no, that's I'm been in the either. closet for a week. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm clean, <laughs> you know, grinder, you know, yeah. it's a whole process. Yeah. Um, but if I have that time, you know, I'm kind of new to, you know, getting back to California, kind of getting back into using cannabis more regularly. Because you were in Florida for yeah, so long. I was in long, Florida, right? you know, working for a larger corporation. And most of my career, I've been working for, you know, um, entities that do random drug testing. And, You're good. No and different things. So, um, you know, that was always a concern. Uh, but, you know, coming back, being in this, you know, um, was a cannabis user as a teenager, um, you know, up in Tahoe. You know, and really back then it wasn't, you know, is it sativa, is it indica, is it this, is it that? It's, it's, it's yeah, yeah, is it, is it, you know, are they buds? You know? Yeah, 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 got it. <laughs> you know, is, is it brown, uh, you know, got brown it. shake or is it, you know, right, but, right. you know, and most of it came probably from, you know. From Mendocino, yeah, yeah most likely. Um, but yeah, so, you know, kind of coming back, it was a whole education process. Mm -hmm. um, my current favorite, though, just I digress a little bit. Um, I do like Gorilla Glue. Uh -huh. There's like eight of them. Yeah, like number four. You like number four. Okay. I yeah. think that's the most popular. Yeah, I think so too. You know, a friend of mine turned me on to that. Yeah. Um, got some really good Blue Dream, like that. Um, yeah. Tangy. Tangy. You know, we are getting ready to do some stuff with, um, ideally some stuff with some people at DNA, and that's one of their strains. Okay. So, um, but Very yeah, cool. like the Tangy. Well, Mark, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. From LA. Oh, no, no, no. Thank some you. Sharing coffee with us. Uh, it's been really fun. I've enjoyed my time. Thank you so much. Yeah, plug some stuff here. What, what's the website, Twitter? Uh, uh, website www.potocoffee.coffee. Dot coffee. Dot coffee. We have a dot TV, which is cool. <laughs> Investingcannabis.tv. We have a dot coffee. Have, dot coffee is very cool. Yeah, I love it. Um, our Instagram is the same at pot of coffee. 
um, Twitter, you know, all kind of universal there. Got it. We were pretty fortunate that way. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Loudpack extracts, yeah. you know, love the guys over at Loudpack. Um, Lifesavers, yeah. great product. Evo Lab in Colorado, our partner there. I'm looking forward to getting this launched with them in Colorado early April. Great, yeah. And just thank you for your time. Good stuff. Yeah, I know it's been a pleasure. Thank for you guys watching uh, for watching. Uh, shout out Ethan Anderson, one of our day ones, sharing us all the time too. Uh, thanks for watching, guys. We'll see you next time. Investing in cannabis is 100% independent media. That means there's no parent company. We don't have anybody telling us what to do. But in order to maintain that, I, I need you. Uh, so there's this great startup called Patreon in San Francisco, uh, and they allowed you to donate a little bit of money every month, five, 10, 20 bucks, uh, to help support the creators, us, investing in cannabis, of this great content that you love to watch. Even if you, you aren't in a position to come out to the world or you've got a conservative job, uh, if, if you're smoking cannabis, if you're enjoying it, uh, just you know, donate a little bit of money to us anonymously. And it's just your little way to stay connected to the industry, even if you can't shout it from the rooftops. Yeah. Uh, you know, just give five, ten bucks a month. I mean, you're, you're buying that weed anyways. And we're giving away free stuff. Uh, this episode, we got a nice pot of coffee t-shirt here. So if you want that, this is cannabis-infused cocoa here. Uh, let's see what else we have. We got the coffee version. We got some CBD stuff as well. So if you don't want to get high at work, maybe just drinking some coffee. So head over to patreon.com slash investing in cannabis. It gives you a chance to invest in cannabis.